Hi, this is Eric Newton from Together.Guide and the Together Podcast, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to the Chasing Dreams podcast, episode number 60. And another friend is here today, folks. I have Eric Newton with me. He is a former, former family law attorney, and Eric describes himself as someone who's been through a thousand divorces and still believes in love, which is an amazing feat, I have to say. <laughs> I'm just being Sometimes honest. When I reflect on it. I can't even believe it. I'm just saying. Ushering couples through divorce wasn't easy for Eric, a romantic from birth, but it turned out to be ideal medium through which to understand the entire life cycle of a relationship. As a result, Eric has a unique, real-world comprehension of what makes one marriage thrive and another fall apart. Ultimately, his calling to help couples build healthy relationships superseded his legal career, and he's decided to dedicate himself full-time to creating a place couples could go for information, inspiration, and a big dose of truth. That's when Together was born, and he's going to talk all about that and how he came about this, and, you know, it's rare to find a romantic at heart, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk to you. Eric, how are you? I'm so good. It's I got to tell you, it's a little surreal hearing your bio read out loud. I don't think that's ever happened to me before. Yeah, because if you think about it, to hear about someone who's been through a thousand divorces and still believes in love, I'd have a hard time imagining that was myself, you know? <laughs> if yeah. I I can't say that, but does that even throw you off when you hear that? Well, that that line doesn't really. I, you know, I guess just Hearing the rest of it read out loud is, is uh, was what threw me. But that line, you know, that's just that's just what happened. Actually, I don't even know the the real number of divorces I've I've been through. I've th- I, I guess I've seen thousands of breakups, and the actual number of divorces that I and my firm worked on was in the thousands. So a romantic from birth, lucky. <laughs> the fact that you maintained that is one. Well, uh, there were some ups congratulations. And downs. I give you applause. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I do have to admit there were those down moments, you know, divorce is tough and losing the law firm was tough and being in relationships is tough. So, you know, I've definitely had my share of those of those tough times. But as you're growing up, right, you're not you're not looking at it as though that's the end result. I mean, did did you know that a divorce lawyer, family law was going to be where you kind of wanted to go? Oh, when I was a kid, definitely yeah. not. Or even a teenager. Or even anything. I mean, when I was in law school, if you'd have told me I was going to be a divorce lawyer, I would have said you were crazy. In fact, when I was in law school, I wasn't even going to be a lawyer, if you want to know the truth. Okay, let's talk about that real quick, because that... <laughs> sure, sure you're, you're about to be an example for people. Why did you go to law school if you didn't even want to be a lawyer? Well, I was living in D.C., and... Great place, by the way. It is. It's a great town. But I was doing the one thing that maybe wasn't the best 
the best choice for DC. I was running nightclubs and I was promoting events around the city. And, you know, running events in a town full of people who are concerned about their political careers, it has its limitations. We had a good time, but, but we were stuck in a box, I think, is probably the best way to put it. But then 9-11 happened and the bottom just fell out of the nightclub business in D.C. You know, the, the Pentagon had been hit and everybody was scared of um, anthrax and people were making jokes about Cipro and we couldn't get anybody to come to the events. So my partner and I started thinking what was next. He decided he'd go into real estate. And I'd always had this fantasy about someday going to law school I'd sort of naively thought that I would do it after I was a multi-gajillionaire from some entrepreneurial venture and I would go and become a lawyer just for the education. And I thought, well, maybe I'll accelerate that plan. So I took the exam, you know, the... Uh, Bar exam? The, 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 uh, oh, the, no, no, no. The, I'm sorry. It's been so long. LSAT. The LSAT, LSAT. to get in. <laughs> it's been 12, a few years. Totally forgot what it was called. Yeah. So I took the LSAT, did pretty well, not amazing, pretty well. And got into the one school I applied to and just said, what the heck, I'll do it. That's... When I look back on that now, that decision, mm -hmm. on one hand, I think, good for you for being adventurous and just following a, a, a spontaneous dream, if you will. And on the other hand, another part of me says, that was pretty naive. I mean, in the end, I ended up with, what, almost $200,000 in school debt, yeah. loans. And for a career that, frankly, I didn't want. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, there are people who are cut out to be attorneys. They love the law. They believe in justice. They care about legal research and writing and presenting their arguments. And God bless them. You know, they have found their dreams. I was never one of those people. I just liked the idea of being a lawyer. I, I thought the education was kind of, well, romantic. And, and there was something about getting that level of education that was really appealing to me. But it had nothing to do with the career. So financially speaking, it probably wasn't the wisest of choices. But in terms of spontaneous adventure and allowing serendipity to happen, well, I guess that was okay. Well, absolutely. And, and to, to your point, yeah. Hey, guys, think, about, think twice before you go to law school. There is six-figure debt. It doesn't go away right away. And you don't come out of law school with a six-figure job, despite what TV tells you. Yeah, not, not always. Sometimes you do, but not always. And if you do it, that, that comes with a whole other host of problems that people don't tell you about. Absolutely, which is why I say, and I think Eric would back me, think twice, then talk to someone who went to law school, then think again. And then think again, right? It is a good education. I will say that. It is a heck of an education. Sure. I don't regret my time at law school. I loved it. I just think that it's not for everyone and you really should be sure that, it, that it's something you should do. Now, how long did you practice? Wow. Uh, 2016, five, five years. That's solid. That's enough to know what it's like. Wow, that's kind of weird. I've never really thought about that. <laughs> Like how long it's been, but I guess, yeah, it's been about, uh, five years. And so how long were you? Uh, just almost 10. It was just creeping up on 10 when everything went to heck in a handbasket. Yes. So I think we've been both solidly say, you know, yeah. Law school is for those who really want to, 
whether it's law or not. I mean, I didn't go thinking I'd do law. My sister did, but I didn't. And, you know, you never know how things turn out. But to your point, there are some people who really love law and it's in their blood. And those are what TV shows are made of. Just remember, that may not be you guys. Well, you know, and I'll say too, though, there's nothing quite like law school to learn what you don't want to do in life. Yes. Which is a step towards figuring out what you do want to do. I mean, I probably 50, 60% of my graduating class ended up discovering that they didn't want to be lawyers and have now moved on to other projects. Absolutely. I mean, some lawyers have become uh, famous writers, television writers, producers, Stephen King, not Stephen King, uh, John Grissom, writer, lawyer too, I believe. It's also a nice pathway to the executive leadership position at a company if you go into business law. Yes. Again, not easy, but you could do it. But see, yeah. that's that's where I guess I'm thrown. Because you get out of law school and you're trying to figure out what you do. Most people pick something that they enjoy or is a topic that they can relate to. Or they can't find anything else and therefore they're, they're quote unquote, maybe stuck with it, so to speak. Is that right. what happened to you with family law? Because I don't put romanticism or romantics with divorce lawyer. It seems kind of like the opposite. Well, my story continued to be circuitous. It didn't. It definitely didn't follow a direct line to family law. When I got out of the of school, I went and took a bar exam in the bar in California because I wanted to take a difficult bar, and that's where my mom lived. So I took the Cal bar, passed it. Congrats! And then thank you, and then went and worked on a, a documentary film in New York, thinking that that was probably more in line with what I wanted out of life, and. The, uh, that, that didn't work out. Turned out the producer was up to some hijinks he shouldn't have been. And so I left that project and then I went to San Diego, moved back in with mom, felt pretty embarrassed doing that. Uh, I tried to figure out what I was going to do next. Met another entrepreneur who had an idea, started working with him and he also turned out to be, uh, not completely on the up and up. And after I realized that he wasn't, what's a nice way to put that? (laughs) Entirely honest. (laughs) Once I learned that he wasn't entirely honest either, I'd been living on my credit cards through all this. So I, I looked around and I realized I'm living with my mom. I have nothing but debt. I, uh, I blew all my savings to try these two ventures that both turned out to be, you know, disasters. I must be a failure in life. And I was really depressed. And I, in the process of trying to come out of that, that feeling of despair, I thought, well, what do I really, what do I know that I want? And the only thing I could think was that I, I wanted to live in either Buenos Aires, uh, in Argentina or San Francisco. And those are the only two kind of directions I had. And I thought, well, I, you know, I am actually a lawyer, even though I've never practiced. So if I moved to San Francisco, I could at least temp. And that was what made the decision for me. So I moved to San Francisco, started temping, and through the process of temping, realized that being a lawyer wasn't the end of the world, hung out a shingle, and family law was what came in when I started advertising. So that's the long answer to the short question. I got to say, I I admire, that's a scary lesson to learn. 
that I've learned over and over. I don't know if I've still learned that one. You'll hear the next phase of the story in a minute. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that that's a tough lesson to learn. I mean, even, uh, you know, trying something out, taking a chance, and then, you know, it backfiring in a way, and then relocating and, and going for it, taking a chance in San Fran. Nothing wrong, nothing against San Fran, guys. Just the fact that it's new. It's a new environment. Uh, you and took expensive. Cali bar and expensive. You took the hardest, one of the hardest bars. I think it's safe to say the hardest, given the three-day, you know, stint that it is. So Cali is a great choice, but it's hard finding work out there. And for you to put your own shingle and kind of establish yourself when you don't have an establishment already, that was brave. Yeah, or again, naive. Potato, I potato, look, but yeah. <laughs> I look back on it, on that, and I, I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that phase. I, I really, I was just depressed, and I, I was just trying to figure out what, what is one thing I can attach to, and it was the idea of San Francisco, and, you know, I was already in debt. I thought, why not just put another couple grand on the card and move up there? And, you know, when I got here, I, I couldn't find an apartment, and I couldn't find a job. And I didn't have a car and all my friends had moved away who I thought lived here. And then it started raining and then it was my birthday. Wow. <laughs> and I, I just I remember I got a donut and I bought a pack of cigarettes and I was like, yeah, this is possibly the worst birthday there could be. Oh. But, but, but it was that feeling of quote unquote hitting bottom. I mean, I hadn't really hit any kind of a bottom compared to what many people in this world go through. But it was this feeling of, of being at the lowest point I had ever been in that gave me the freedom to then just start a law firm from scratch, which everybody in law school knows is crazy. You know, you, you, if you haven't ever practiced, starting up your own firm is just absolutely nutbags. You don't know how to run a law firm. You don't know how to run a business. You don't know how to deal with clients. Basically, the only thing you can do is legal research, which is maybe one fourth of the entire process of owning a firm. Right. So, and you have no credibility to yourself. Right. Right. Yes. Nobody knows who you are. You don't have a track record. You know, I didn't have any startup capital to rent an office or legal research materials or anything. But it, I, I just felt like, you know, I've everything else has gone wrong. So... I don't really care if this goes wrong also. What I actually told myself was, if this doesn't work out, well, I'll just move to the Caribbean and open up a dive shop. I don't care. So I, I, I had the, a kind of freedom, you know, a kind of uh, a freedom that comes from not really caring about the consequences or the results. And that, that freedom, I think, really paid off because I was, I was fearless. You know, I, I just... I would sit down, open up the yellow pages and just start calling lawyers and say, hey, I'm a new baby lawyer in town. You want to get together for lunch? And then we'd get together for lunch and they would always buy because they'd know I was at the beginning. And and I'd say, hey, uh, I don't know how to do any of this. Will you give me advice? <laughs> I got to give you credit for even doing that, though. I mean, it takes a lot to ask. You know, but people want to help. They really do because they all remembered what it was like getting started. And people would offer me forms and templates and research advice and court behavior pointers. And, uh, and then people started giving me cases. And then I met a mentor who I, I told you family law was what started coming in when I was mm -hmm. advertising. 
I was just getting these random family law calls and I found a family law mentor who did a lot of celebrity cases up here. And he brought me under his wing. He said, he was trying to get me to move into his office because he had an extra space available. And, um, and he said, look, whether you move in here or not, I will walk you through step-by-step step every one of your cases until you feel comfortable to do it on your own. That's and huge. I, oh my God, it was so huge. And uh, it, I mean, so huge. It, it was like having, I don't know, it was like having a father or something who was a lawyer who was willing to show me how to do it. It's like and having a Mr. Miyagi. It was. And then, then he started bringing me in on his cases because he knew that I wasn't filling up my billable hours and I needed more income. So he brought me in on his big deal cases and paid me my full rate, which, you know, for those of you who are not lawyers, that is crazy. Usually when somebody brings you on a case, they pay you a much lower rate on the argument that, they, that you don't have overhead and that they brought in the case and they should make money off of you. He didn't even try to make money off of me. He paid me what he billed the clients for my time. I'm going to be really disappointed this, this story has like a, a sad twist to it because oh, that no. that is amazing. And not it's not that it's unheard of because you're right. People want to help. Uh, the, the problem is that people don't ask for the help. Yeah. But for him to go out of the way he did and to help you in the way he did, guys, from someone who's done law, who's been with a law firm and had a boss similar to your mentor, great guy, giving heart, that's huge. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's a lovely guy. He's still out there practicing, still kicking butt, still doing celebrity cases. I, I'm eternally grateful to him. I'm I'm no longer practicing law, but he is what kept me. He's what got me started, kept me afloat in the beginning, and gave me a good launch. Having worked on those celebrity cases with him, then I had a lot of credibility all of a sudden, and I was able to bring in cases of my own. You know, I gotta say, uh, for him to take the time out the way he did. And, and help you the way he has. That's it's not that only that it's unheard of, but I think it's a, a great sign for for humanity and people that it's not always about the money. And so it's a nice story in multiple different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I, definitely yeah, yeah. It's I mean, not about the money for him for sure. I'm also impressed though for you having done family law. Was it difficult to maintain your? I don't know if it's rose colored glasses necessarily that I want to say, but your romantic nature? Well, at the, I have to say at the beginning, I was very, very sensitive to the experience of divorcing people. It, it hit me on a deeper emotional level than I expected that it would. I mean, it probably doesn't sound surprising to you from the outside since you asked that question, but I, I was surprised at how deeply I was hurt by moving other people through their divorces. I, I, I didn't yet know how to have this barrier between my experience and their experience. And it would keep me up at night. And You couldn't did, separate yourself? Is that... Yeah. I, I, I sort of... I, I, I mean, I think I was a textbook example of making other people's problems my own problems, which is something that young lawyers always have to learn. You know, we always have to understand that our clients are coming to us to solve their problems, but they are not our problems. I think that's particularly thorny in the divorce context because, you know, it's not Sony Corporation and their fight against IBM, you know, which is very abstract. It's instead, it's 
this human being who could be a family member of yours who is having the hardest possible time in their life and spending more money than they will probably ever spend on a problem, more money than they can afford. And they're coming to you for advice on this incredibly trying issue and taking your advice, which is sometimes not great. You know, you sometimes are confronted with having given a, a bad bit of advice or, or having given good advice, but things work out badly or, or none of the above and things work out badly. Um, it's, it's just a tough universe to, to live in day in and day out if you don't have, if you can't give yourself some separation from it. Now, if you don't mind me asking, you've, you've seen kind of the cycle of relationships on the outside. Have you personally experienced a cycle of relationships or, I mean, I'm hoping that they've all been positive for you, but do you have practical experience for yourself as well as the experience of others? Yeah. Do you mean in terms of my own long-term, long-term relationship history? Yeah. And just from the things you've seen and the things you talk about on your show, are you pulling from both your, your personal experience and others? Yeah, you know, the show, just to draw a, a brief distinction, the show is really my delight in exploring the relationships of other people. I have couples come in and and I, I'm just fascinated by relationship dynamics, how they operate in, in so many different forms. And so the show is, is, for me, it's a playground. I get to just dig in with couples and find out, you know, really the truth about their relationship, the kind of thing that people just don't talk about in normal company. And it's such a privilege. And I don't give a whole lot of advice on the show. I really am just listening and exploring and poking around. The magazine at Together.Guide is where I write about what I've learned. And all of that, 100% of it, all of it comes from my personal experience, um, flailing around, screwing up, analyzing what I've done, trying to decipher what it means, and then writing about it. And the magazine is, is not just my writing. It's also writing from journalists, um, first-person narratives from, from you know, New, York, New York Times journalists about their relationship experiences. But the writing from me is, is what I've learned and yeah, that's, it is, it's, it's what you're asking. It's, it's my own experience. And, you know, from acknowledging that I'm utterly flawed and perfectly human and then trying to explore what that means. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed that you've taken that step to, to helping others in this new way that you're doing. How did you decide that that was the route to go? Well, uh, so as I mentioned at the beginning when I was first starting my law practice, it was, uh, it was emotionally a rocky road for me. Mm -hmm. And my best friend is a psychologist, a, a PhD, and a therapist. And I called her up and I, I was just brainstorming with her. Like, what could we do that would make a difference for couples? It, you know, what, so that I could just feel better about life. And we came up with the idea of creating a weekend retreat for newly engaged couples to work on relationship skills before getting married. And Katrin, my partner in this project, is very academic and very research-minded. So she spent, we, we put it on hold, <laughs> she spent two years reading and researching all of the literature, just everything that you could find academically and, and self-help books and everything out there on relationships. And then we spent a year distilling that down 
into what ended up being 20 principles of relationships that really we believe if, if you're going to have a successful relationship, you need to have some facility with these 20 principles. And they get, they're what you see repeated over and over in all of the different books. You know, people talk about them in different ways, but it's the same sort of stuff. And then we turned that into a weekend course and we led the course a couple of times and it was a blast and we're still in touch with those couples. They're all still together. Uh, but then we got busy with our careers and we never did it again. So <laughs> we just let it drop. And then when my law firm went under, which is a whole other story that you might want to know about, uh, I was thinking, what, what was I doing in life that was ever fulfilling, like truly fulfilling? And it was that period of time. It was that period of time working with Katrin on relationships and relationship success. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to teach the seminars, but what can I do that's in that same vein? And the idea of interviewing couples about what makes their relationships work just blossomed for it just blossomed out of nowhere. And it made so much sense. And so that's how the podcast and the magazine came to be. Now, you had touched upon the law firm going under. Yeah. And I do want to talk about that because I'm wondering, would you have continued with the law firm if it hadn't gone under? And I, I think I would have. Yeah, I think I asked myself that question a lot. We were making really good money. I was a great marketer. I have to be honest about it. I was a great legal services marketer and we were making good money. And yet I wasn't fulfilled, but I kept telling myself that I probably should stick it out because it was the financially responsible thing to do. And so I, I think that I would still be there if the firm hadn't gone under. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, how different things can change. That's just the course. Of, I mean, they say, right, uh, the course of history could have been changed if this hadn't happened. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. And, and it's the same thing for your life. It's like, if that hadn't happened, would Together.Guide be here today? Yeah, I don't think it would be. And I'm so grateful. I mean, I lost... I lost everything and that's a, that's an over dramatization. I lost all my money and I lost, you know, my apartment and my firm. But I, I look back at that with such peace, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy that it went the way that it did because I've never been as happy and as poor, but I've never been as happy as I am now. Yeah. I don't think this would be available. I don't think this presence of mind and this experience of life this awakeness to, to experience would have been available in my last incarnation. So it's interesting because you've gone through two different experiences of a down period, if you will, right? Sure, yeah. On both coasts. How was it different, though, the second time around? Do you think that having experienced it the first made you, I hate to say that, but like, prepared to accept it or are you able to handle it better? Cause it's almost a been there, done that kind of thing. Well, I will say the second time felt very fruitful. I, I don't know if it was caused by it having happened once before, or if it was caused by books I had been reading. I'd also had an experience in Tibet that, um, I was, I was vacationing in Tibet and, uh, put someone's life at risk while I was there unintentionally, but nonetheless did so. Oh my. And I uh, had to come face to face with 
my impact on the world in a way that I never had before. And when I came back from that trip, I just, I just, I just wasn't the same. I couldn't fit into my old way of being like I had before that experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it was the cascading impact of that experience that when the firm went under and I was, you know, angry at my former partner and depressed about my choices and uh, feeling hopeless. At the same time, I was experiencing this almost fascination with the complexity and the ups and downs of of the human experience. You know, I was feeling angry and depressed and I was marveling at the anger and depression. And, and then I was noticing that and trying to dive in deeper to it. I, I know that might sound a little odd, but I was, I wanted to go as deep into these horrible feelings as I possibly could and not to avoid them and not to try to cover them up with other feelings. But I just wanted to, I just wanted to go as deep as possible. I felt like, I felt like it was, you know, old, unnecessary pieces of myself were burning away in the anger and in the, the, the depression. And I got to say, after it was about a year of pretty consistently feeling that way, both miserable and excited about being miserable, <laughs> uh, suddenly I woke up one day and it had just passed. And what was left in its wake was this sense of peace. And I've felt that sense of peace and aliveness ever since. It's never left. Do you direct your, your actions now with Together.Guide with that in mind? Keeping that maintain, what would maintain my sense of peace? Would this action do that? Or am I rocking the boat? Do you find yourself kind of Great. using that as a guide? That is a fascinating question to me specifically because I try to do the opposite. Really? Yeah. What I find is that anytime I'm trying to hold on to a state of being or a state of mind, then I start to suffer. It's like holding on to, uh, you, you know, because, because ex the lesson I learned in the process of diving into that, mm -hmm. that those horrible feelings was that you know, experience just unfolds. It just, it just experiences what we have. You know, this, this thing called experience is really all we are. And it just unfolds as it will. And yes, we can direct it and we can manipulate the currents to a degree or ride with the currents. But, you know, it's just going to happen, this thing called experience. And as it does it's constantly in motion and it just passes. And every time we try to hold on to something, we're creating a false sense of permanency around the ever-changing nature of things. And it just causes everything to get gummed up and stagnate. But when I go with the flow of what's happening, everything just flows. I know that's a little redundant, the, the world has a, a deeper sense of grace. That's an interesting uh, perspective on it. Like, I, I completely didn't see that 
being the way you kind of moved forward. Yeah. And it's not to say I don't have agendas. You know, I, no, I do no. want, I want things to happen a certain way, mm -hmm. but then things happen the way that things happen. And it's kind of getting on board with the train. There, there's a famous saying, it's easier to ride the train in the direction it's already going. And, and that's, you know, it's not, I don't feel like I'm at cause of fate and that fate is outside of me. That's not the experience, but I do, I do want to allow, it's so much more peaceful to allow the world to be as it is. And from there is a kind of creativity. You know, that's when the idea, it's, it's from that place that the idea of the podcast came to be. And it's from that place that the idea of the magazine came to be. And it's from that place that the idea of this radio show that we're now um, recording the pilot for came to be. Yes, let's talk about Together.Guide, the, the show, the magazine, the radio show that you have going on. By the time you guys listen to this episode, he will have already recorded the pilot episode and maybe even one other episode. So how did that come about? Because it seems well, like your Together.Guide is evolving with time. That's right. Yeah, it is evolving. Um, what can I say about it? So the podcast is, as I described, it's a series of interviews, real interviews with real couples about what's going on in their relationships below the fluff and the PR. And the magazine is a series of first-person narratives about relationship lessons. And I was at a podcast conference where I met you. And uh, was coming out of a restaurant after dinner and saw <laughs> and saw this couple who I didn't know was there for the conference. They just looked like a really interesting couple. So I asked them if they'd like to be on the show. I interrupted their dinner and apologized and said, you know, I have this podcast and would you guys like to be on the show? And they said no. Uh, but it turned out that the, the husband is an old time radio producer and he went and listened to the podcast and... And just really loved it. And then he texted me the next day and asked if I'd like to get together. And he pitched me an idea for a radio show that he's had in mind for a long time. And I re-pitched him the idea of bringing Katrin in, Katrin from the earlier part of my story, as a co-host. And he loved it. And so now we are recording the pilot episode for a show that is yet to be named this weekend. And uh, then we're going to pitch it to radio stations. We've already done some pre-pitches. Radio stations liked it. They basically said, if it sounds good, we'll, we'll buy it from you. So now we've just got to make it sound good. How <laughs> exciting. It is exciting. Who knows if it'll sound good, though? <laughs> well, you know, one step at a time. One step at a time, yeah. You know, yeah. here you are. At least you have the opportunity to wonder if it'll sound good. But that is exciting. I mean, because you're still continuing with everything else you have going on, right? This is just an, another edition? Yeah, it's another edition. It fits naturally and easily. It was a no-brainer to say yes. I mean, it's exciting. And at the same time, I, I think in line with what I was saying a moment ago, I'm not attached. I, I mean, I would love this to work out. It would be so much fun. But also, just the process of putting the pilot together is an absolute blast. And if it works out, wow, it's going to be amazing. And if it doesn't work out, wow, this has been amazing. And I'll be a little disappointed, but I'm just not attached to the end result going any particular way. I'm more fascinated by how this ride is unfolding. 
Now, Eric, you have had a very what's 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 a way to put it? A roller coaster of a life in terms of experiences. <laughs> I, I that, think that's fair the, to say. That was the best analogy I could come up with on this spot. You you you've had your ups, you've had your downs. It looks like you're on an upswing, and you know when you're chasing your dreams, you you can often get bogged down in things and. Money is one of them. Uh, you've you've seen the lows, the mids, the highs. Not talking just about money, but are you happy right now with how things are going necessarily? It may not be what you envisioned previously, right? It's not necessarily. I'm I'm not. I don't think it's bringing the income people see that lawyers bring on TV. And here you are, kind of reinvented. Are you happy with how things are going? Definitely yes, and I have to admit it's scary. You know, I don't have any income at all from together. I'm, um, I took out a loan to get it started, and it's operating just on that loan, the, the proceeds from the loan. And that's yet another risk that I'm taking. And these kind of risks have worked out in the past, and they've flopped in the past, and this could be either one of those things. And in my dark moments, I definitely question my value as a person and stop and say, wait a minute, you're poor and you're, you're 41 and you have no money and you don't have any kids and all of your friends in law school have houses and cars and families and vacations and look at you. But when I get really quiet consistently, when I stop and pause, when I meditate or when I'm just taking a walk with the dog and I'm allowing my mind to silence. I am unfailably, consistently, brilliantly happy. You know, come success with the radio program or dismal quote unquote failure, I am so much happier at this moment than I have ever been in my life, happier than I thought possible, dark moments notwithstanding, that the cost is worth it without I, I, question. I'm, I'm stoked to hear that because oftentimes people can't say that, you know, and I wish more people would be able to say that. So thrilled that you can say that. And I'm going to use that to segue and say, now that you are living your dream, working on it, what is something you would tell someone else who is chasing their dream? Ah, that question. Now, right. I, you know, every time people think I don't prepare these people, guys, I give them warning. You did tell me that you were going to ask that. And then I conveniently forgot that you were going to ask it. And then you told me again and I forgot again. <laughs> it's not my fault. Now, you know, though, it's a very pure answer that people give. <laughs> um, you know what I would say? You know what I would say? It's going to sound odd. You're just not that important. Did that come through? I whispered it. You're just not that important. We are not that important. We're not that important. You know, it's, there's so much freedom in just acknowledging, wow, we're not that important. And our dreams and our hopes and our desires are really not that important. And our fears are not that important either. That, that's why 
I'm imagining, since I can't see your face, I'm imagining you're going, what? I'm sure the uh, audience is. I'm just smiling because I'm like, because <laughs> it's very freeing. I, I have done that. I've had that moment where you're, where you're like, all right, relax. <laughs> you're not the president. It's okay. And even the president isn't that important. You know, I, I, I get that we're all the center of our own universes sure. and in that, and the world does revolve around each of us. It just, that's how it is for, for us, for each of us. And in that sense, we're the most important thing that there ever was or ever will be, you know, and, and a, a spiritual person might say that we are each that which causes everything that there is, you know, we're the center of the universe. Our experience gives the universe itself. It, it is the universe. And so we're the most important thing. On the other hand, you know, most of what we want and desire and fear are these abstractions based on root fears that, which the genesis of which uh, lie in our childhood traumas and our, our petty responses to those traumas when we were kids. You know, a lot of what we think is a personality is really just an, a response to those early fears. You might even say that it's, it's a response to the fear of death, abstracted up to this whole thing that we call a personality. You know, that's a really, I, I get that that's an abstract way to talk about it. But for me, it's a way to remember that all of this stuff that I'm grasping for and striving for and think matters so much in the moment, really, really, if we just look at, its, at where it's grounded start to see that, ah, uh, you know, that's, that's mostly coming from some fear and my strategy to avoid the fear and the fear is not really real. And I don't really care so much about that thing. And, and that's probably true about the Ferrari that I used to want. And it's definitely true about the petty little arguments that I have with Aubrey, the love of my life. You know, the thing that I'm arguing about, it's not that important. The car I want to buy, it's not that important. The goal I have for this radio show to, to succeed, it's not that important. What does matter, though, well, I don't know if it matters, but what where there is joy is just observing this crazy universe unfolding around us. It's fascinating. It's so beautiful. It kind of doesn't matter what happens. And that's the place from which I chase my dreams. I know it sounds like a contradiction. The only place that it seems to work. No, I think having question myself in a similar nature I think it makes sense and I think if more people tell themselves that in a positive way guys I mean don't take what he said in the wrong way okay but it is freeing you know it's yeah. kind of like takes those limitations those fears off of you when you when you start acknowledging that yeah it, you know and yeah, I guess I guess that could be taken in the wrong way. It could it could end you in um, even more fear and more despair. Right, uh, but that's not the intention. Yeah, I, you know, because because I, whenever the fear arises around the idea that I'm not that important, it's usually if I look at where that fear comes from, it's my need to be important is actually not that important either. <laughs> it's very inception like guys you know, it's so... <laughs> it is right it's like a dream within a dream within a dream and who yes. knows which one is real yes. and at some point you can't even answer the question so 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 what 
And you guys should ask yourself that while I thank Eric for coming on the show and sharing not just that, that nugget of knowledge, but his story, which is amazing and brave. And I wish you nothing but the best with the radio show, the guide, the, the podcast. Wishing nothing but the best because I'm excited for you. Thanks, Amy. It is really fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. It's a privilege. It really is. Hey, guys, how fun is Eric Newton? Definitely check out his podcast, The Guide, and the radio show, which, cross your fingers, is going live. Hopefully, uh, he'll find out soon, and the show notes and media will reflect that as soon as we get word about it. And take his, take his advice to heart, guys. Once you start thinking that it's not that important, you know, if you, you start lowering the pressure you put upon yourself for things, you know, there is a, some, a sense of freedom with it. So I hope you guys can relieve yourself of any pressures you put upon yourself with that mentality and continue to chase your dreams like Eric is. He's he gone up and down, up and down, and he's loving life. And the fact that he can say he's happier than he's ever been is all I want from you. And I'm pretty sure all Eric wants for you just as much. And so if you want to find out more about what Eric's doing and how to get in touch with Eric, be sure to check out the show notes page over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 60. That's episode 60. Until the next episode, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.